Welcome to Greenhouse Grower to Grower, the podcast where we talk to growers from across the greenhouse industry about market trends, innovation, their biggest challenges and opportunities, and more. I'm Brian Sparks, Senior Editor of Greenhouse Grower. Abby Lang is a facility manager at Village Farms, a company that produces more than 100 million pounds of fresh produce a year, all from their greenhouses in Texas. Abby started with Village Farms as an intern more than eight years ago while pursuing a degree in plant science. She now manages 20 acres of tomatoes, and her wide range of responsibilities include managing the greenhouse climate, prioritizing maintenance activities, keeping the packing house running as efficiently as possible, updating the company's production forecasts, and assisting in the training of personnel. I recently caught up with Abby to learn more about how she grew into her current role, the market forces shaping the future of Village Farms, and much more. So let's start with your background, uh, your education in this industry, and then really how that helped prepare and then translates over into your current role and responsibilities at Village Farms. Okay. Um, So I have a bachelor's of science degree from the University of Missouri at Columbia and plant science. And within the plant science department, there are some different specializations. So mine's in horticulture and specifically in greenhouse management with a, with a, uh, a minor in sustainable agriculture. Okay. So, I mean, here in, in village farms, I mean, yeah, we, we, we try to do everything as sustainably as we can. You know, we, we've been looking this week at, uh, recirculating water and, um, at biological pest control and a lot of different avenues like that where where some of that background comes in handy to sort of know, okay, what's a biological control agent before you actually hit the ground running with them? Okay. Um, and how, you know, I have some entomology background in my coursework and, okay, well, how does that translate into looking at parasitism rates and hatch rates and pollination and all that good stuff? So, um, you know, there are lots of aspects where my education came into play. Um, I, I was really fortunate to have some practical hands-on coursework at university. So I you know, had benches that I was taking care of on a regular basis and um, did some greenhouse maintenance out there. So got a, a feel for what it takes to keep a, a facility running. Now that was kind of in miniature to what we do now. You know, I I grow on 20 acres and this is the small facility of the company. It's the baby facility of the company. So, um, you know, it's it's kind of on a different magnitude, but um a lot of a lot of those skills certainly translate. Okay. So what are your main current roles and responsibilities right now then? Yeah, so uh, as facility manager, I I focus on labor management, climate and irrigation management, energy use, um, uh, packing and greenhouse operations, and then also working together with the kind of auxiliary departments, employee safety, food safety, and you know gap, um, human resources. Um, and, and with the other facilities as well to work together to make sure all of our goals get accomplished. Wearing a lot of hats right now, it definitely sounds like. Yeah. Yeah, Like I said, you never get bored. There's always something fun happening. So, yeah. So, I mean, you're in an industry that is 
constantly evolving. I'd say maybe today, now, today, more than ever before. Um, How do you keep up with or try to keep up with, you know, the latest production and growing information, the latest trends and how that would impact, you know, how Village Farms operates, you know, at a smaller level and then at a higher level as well? Right. So, I mean, we're always in communication with um, the other growers in our company, for sure, our, our colleagues here. Um, you know, we have facilities in British Columbia and we work with third party growers in Mexico as well. So we, we learn a lot just within the company at different locations about things that are going on. But apart from that, we also, I mean, I'm always reading the Horta Daily newsletter. Okay. I love that newsletter. Um, it's just, you know. We, we try to keep up with some industry publications as well to hear what's going on from the outside. Right. And a lot of us within the company also have a network of contacts just within the industry, but outside of Village Farms. So it's important to keep up those contacts, keep up that communication so you can hear about things before they necessarily impact you. Yeah. Um, and, and on top of that, we also try to do some continuing education courses. Um, so for example, you know, for, for those of us who have pesticide applicators licenses, we have to do certain amounts of credit hours and, uh, continuing education. So that keeps us up to date on laws that may be changing or new products and strategies that might be coming out. Um, but there are also some really good, uh, growing courses. Like I did a course through plant empowerment that was very interesting about uh, new strategies in climate control um, okay. that's been helpful in, in how we think about what's going on in the plant physiologically. Okay. Um, but then there are other examples, but we, we do try to try to keep abreast of new, new things that are coming down the line, that okay. are coming out in research. That plant empowerment angle is really fascinating, I think. You know, I'm amazed in this industry how much of the focus and the ability there is now to really zero in on everything that you can need to know about the crop and how then you can dictate your greenhouse environmental conditions to, you know, connect with and manage that crop in a better way. Yeah, exactly. You know, the the uh, the paradigm I always think about a plant in is in source source sync relationships. And if if you plug that into what the plant empowerment people are saying, it makes a lot of sense of uh, what are your inputs, what are your outputs, and then what is actually happening in the plant. And is that what you want to be happening at <laughs> given times? So um, it, it is helpful just in in making your climate strategy. So that's uh, it, it's been a big help. And for sure, um, another piece of that is just with uh, AI and autonomous growing technologies coming down the pipe as well, because we do work with... Um, some an autonomous growing platform that is um that really tries to optimize some of those curves of photosynthesis and temperature versus radiation um in a new way so and and leveraging our historical climate data to make that a reality to know okay what are the limits we're actually working in because it's nice to say okay tomato plants really like 19 degrees, 24 hour temperature, just say it, give it 19 degrees. Well, yeah, that's really nice to say, but we live in the real world. Yeah. So, so we I, have to deal with what we're given. 
So I want to zero in on a couple of things that you mentioned there. You know, the the evolution of AI in this industry and how that translates to, you know, not just data collection, but then making informed decisions based on the data that you are collecting. Um, yeah. If you could talk about that. And then also just, you know, automation in general, how that leads to a changing role for the grower who's in the greenhouse every day or who's responsible for, you know, ultimately putting that high quality crop, taking it from the greenhouse to the end consumer. Right. Um, well, I think on, on that note, I mean, the, the grower's role, if, from what I've always seen, is looking at the crop, looking at the climate, saying what needs to happen here? Mm. What can I improve on the on the productivity of this crop and how can I get there? Um, and that requires a lot of a lot of experience. It requires quite a bit of knowledge and it requires just an eye for what's happening um and and so that i think is and that has not changed that part doesn't change if you start trying to optimize using ai or using machine learning autonomous growing whatever you want to call it mm-hmm. um all and and that and that leads to setting the strategy because a computer at the end of the day is going to follow the instructions it's given sure and so the, the in, you know there's always the for any algorithm they say garbage in garbage out if you don't feed it the right data or if you tell it to do the wrong thing you're not going to get good results no matter how sophisticated of a system you use yeah um so setting the strategy and deciding what that should be still remains with the grower mm-hmm. um and and then of course then there's the output side of that as well that you even if you have a super well honed in well tuned ai or autonomous growing um you still have to review the outcomes you still have to see okay what is it actually doing what effect is it having is that what i want is it actually working um you know you wouldn't want to just leave it alone and go to Cancun for six months and come back and then look at it and say, how, you know, how many kilos did we increase? It, yeah. you know, it doesn't work like that. So you have to constantly be monitoring it just as it was before when you were setting every little set point every day. You yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. So you mentioned pest management a few minutes ago, and I wanted to ask, you know, um, as the biological industry continues to evolve, we learn more about it. How is, how has that affected your approach to um, minimizing pest pressure, whether it's disease or insect, um, for the crop? Yeah, I mean it's it's a big it's a big piece of the puzzle for sure because with biological control agents, you don't have a limited number of applications. And so, you know, even if you have other, if you have other, if you have chemical treatments, for example, those are always, that's a limited number of bullets in your bandolier. And you never know what's going to happen in the spring. You know, for us, we, we plant in early fall, late summer, and we, and we tear out like at this facility in midsummer. Okay. And so the fall... Coming off of the warm season of one year, you may have some residual caterpillar from a banner year of caterpillar. And then the next year, for whatever reason, 
the niche in the environment where that caterpillar is thriving is taken up by something else and your challenges are completely different. So you can't, you have of what you don't know. And you don't know what the next season is going to look like in terms of best pressure necessarily. Yeah. Um, so you, you can't, you have to leave yourself ammunition. And so your biological control agents, uh, I mean, aside from their huge benefits in terms of sustainability, in terms of resistance management, also are the things that you can go back to time and time again. Okay. Um, so it is a big piece of the puzzle. And for us, we are always trying to be on the leading edge of innovating, both with biological control agents, new mechanical control agents. I mean, we're, um, we like to trap here before we start spraying anything, for example, you know, sure. if we can do it some other, some other way like that, then, uh, then we do. And, and so that's, it's very important for us. And, and because of that, we're always trying new biological control agents and looking for what's the next great thing. You know, at, at some point in the past, there was a moment where, man, in Carcia Formosa, this thing's got a future and <laughs> it, you know, it, it's shown that it does. Um, and so we know that, that we can, we want to be there when the next thing comes out too. You know what I mean? Right. Oh yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so, you know, a, a lot of what you've talked about so far kind of, you know, goes back to, and it's not, you know, just the work that you're doing, but it's the team that you have in place as well. Um, and I wonder if you could talk about, you know, how you build, start starting with the recruiting process and then train that team. And then, you know, one of the big issues today we hear a lot about is retaining a team, you know, at a, in time when there seems to be constant turnover in almost every industry. What are some of the strategies that you take, not just to recruit talent, but then to find ways to make sure that, that they have a, a long-term role at Village Farms? Yeah. Um, it, that's certainly a huge challenge for really just about any industry right now, but certainly ours too. Um, as far as recruitment goes, my outlook is we should have an open mind. I really like bringing people up from within our organization, people who have been there and done that with us. Um, you know, they just, it, it's just a really easy transition for them if you find the right person. Um, and that way they also have immediately some, um, so, uh, a rapport built up with your other staff. Um, they know their virtues and they know um, what they're dealing with. They're, it's not a total stranger, right? Um, but at the same time, we're definitely always open-minded to people who come in from other facilities, other parts of the industry, or other industries entirely who have a passion for what we're doing. Sure. Um, because we always need extra eyes. We always need other perspectives. We always need other ideas. Um, and And so... Yeah, for me, that that's the first thing is just not being so, um, not being so quick to to say, well, this person doesn't fit exactly in in this category. It doesn't have this neat little bundle of experience and education that perfectly aligns with what we're doing. Yeah, but if you have somebody who really has drive um, to learn and to improve things, then 
then that person's still worth their weight in gold. <laughs> and and then so when somebody's on the t go ahead. No, 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 please. I'm sorry. Okay, I was just gonna say, and then once that person is is on the team, once you're trying to develop that person, especially for um, like trajectory into facility management or something really adjacent to that, right. then my main concern is that that person sees where they want to get to, what the next step is, and then start preparing them for that. I mean, like for for example, with with our greenhouse supervisory staff and our assistant facility managers, I always kind of look at it as the show's got to go on no matter what. And if I get hit by a bus tomorrow, fortunately there aren't a lot of buses running around where we live. Sure. But um, but if I get hit by a bus tomorrow, you've got to be ready to do what I'm doing, and he's got to be ready to do what you're doing, and. So what can we do to get you there? So I, I try to try to involve people in as much as they can. Like even if if a greenhouse supervisor or a packhouse supervisor isn't necessarily that involved with logistics, um, doesn't really communicate with sales in their everyday life, or doesn't really communicate with um, IPM. It, we want to bridge those connections so that that person is ready to know what's going on if the opportunity arises um, to to advance. Yeah. Because, because we want people in those positions who do have that ambition. And so we want to make sure that they're not in over their heads or lost when that comes to pass. Well, and to your point too, I always think of that risk of losing that institutional knowledge as you said somebody you know whether it's being hit by a bus as you said but just if somebody all of a sudden you know oh, yeah. leaves for another opportunity and you know making sure that you've got people you know, change jobs people's lives change yeah exactly so you know yeah. over the course of, of your career at village so um i'm curious as about what, what you think are some of the biggest lessons that you've learned as you've grown into what your role is right now okay um I would say one of them kind of ties back to what we were talking about earlier, just open-mindedness. Mm -hmm. It doesn't matter to me if somebody just walked in the door, if they have a really good idea for how to innovate something or how to improve something, it's important to, to hear them out. And it's important to, to think about it and not say, ah, oh, well, that person doesn't know anything, so this idea isn't worthwhile. Um, you know, even if an idea doesn't work out, what I find is when people are thinking about, well, why do we do this? And why do we run that machine that way? Then it might not be that idea that ends up being the big springboard to improvement. Sure. But it can it can help you generate an idea because it gets you thinking out of the box. Yeah. Um, so that's definitely something I found that's really really important. Um, and another one in terms of managing finances that I've, I've learned is that, you know, it's, it's important in any economy because this is a business, but especially in a tough economy, in a tough market, it's important to save every penny you can, mm -hmm. but sometimes saving a penny costs you a dollar. Sometimes, you know, you, you can say, well, 
I'll just cheap out on this. I'll just keep this cost really low. But whatever that article is, then you have to keep continually replacing it yeah. uh, over and over and over again. Like I had a conversation one time with a coworker about shoes. Cause I mean, anyone who works in greenhouses will know your shoes are put through the ringer <laughs> in this industry. Yeah. Um, and he said, well, how much, you know, how much does those boots cost? And I said, well, $120. Said, what about your shoes? Said, oh, I get them for 30. All right. Well, how long do they last you? (laughs) Well, those $30 shoes lasted him two months. He said, well, what about your boots? And I said, well, they last me two years. (laughs) So, you you know, you can do the math on that. But, um, you know, sometimes it is better to just bite the bullet and invest in something that's going to work for you. Um, It's... And and knowing where where that difference will be made and where extra dollars invested will save you more later on is is sure. key for sure. And the for me the last thing that that really it took me a long time to learn, but eventually I think I learned it, is that worrying doesn't help you. <laughs> it, we you know we live in we live in a a world that places a lot of demands on you and we work in an industry that's constantly in flux. Um, But stressing out is never the answer and it's never going to help you find the answer you need in a situation. So it's better just to keep a cool head and, and focus and use that energy that you would be spending worrying on anything else. Yeah. So you, your approach to financing that you mentioned before, I'm, I'm curious as to, you know, how then that translates, you know, this in this industry, there seems to be a constant wave of potential new technology coming out that could, could either be the next the big thing or, or, or it could not be the next big thing. It could be a total flop. Exactly. <laughs> so, so then how do you take that mindset and then how does that affect how you approach what's going to be the smartest way to not just invest in new technology, but also incorporate it into a way that's going to make the most sense for you. Right. Um, You know, I think a lot of that is always be looking at those new technologies, but try to understand how they work. And if you don't understand how they work, and if it's totally out of your league, find somebody who's in that branch of research or of industry. You know, if you can reach out to colleagues either you know people who are who are trying to get on that bandwagon or people who have said nope there's no way i'm going to get on that bandwagon or somebody involved in it but just really researching and taking time to gather information on it is key because there are there are people who will come at you with a solution and they say this is foolproof and it's so cheap and it's so easy there's no reason not to do it but, you know, sometimes people don't know what they're talking about. <laughs> so you need to you need to always could always keep in your mind, no matter how desperate you are for a similar technology. Like, I mean, in in our industry in the past several years, we've been dealing with tomato brown rugose virus. You know, right. it's just the whole industry has been awash in that. And there there are a lot of people who come in and say, well. I've got the answer. It's right here. Just sign. And um, it, it's important to try before you buy. And it's important to talk to other people and and 
that's not to say that you can never go out on a limb, but and and because it's advantageous, right? If you can be the first one that solves a problem like that, yeah, of course you want to be that person. And but you you really have to understand in this case how viruses work, how mechanical transmission works, and then understand what the solution is trying to do. Um, but you gotta you gotta see it to believe it. For sure, you've you've got to you've got to understand it, and you've got to see it in action, and you've got to prove it to yourself. Well, and and you talk about problem solving there. It's the other thing I was thinking about was one of the things that we hear a lot about is energy costs, and you know I've heard mm. comments at conferences that I've been to that you know if there's the if there's one key issue that this industry needs to really address in order to build a viable future that's maybe the biggest piece of the puzzle is that something that that you guys are seeing as well we certainly we certainly deal with it and we certainly are seeing the situation for example that's been happening over the past couple of years in europe Mm -hmm. with regards to energy use and we've seen you know growers delay planting by months um to to avoid some of those energy expenditures um and, and so it's certainly on our minds that, okay, do we really need, you know, you, you have to evaluate in times of plenty. It's very easy to say, oh, just put that energy and put, yeah, put it in. But you have to kind of reevaluate what is necessary and how do we avoid, you know, for us, we're always looking at how can we get the most bang for our buck out of every MBTU, you know, right. um, and, you know, for us, that's a lot of that has to do with um, using our, our boilers to produce CO2. And so how do we fit that into the plant schedule so that that occurs? Um, but it it has to be constantly reevaluated. Like I said, we're never, it's never static. We always look at it as there are improvements to be made here. We just have to find them. Right. So in, as you look ahead, you know, for yourself, for village farms, and for this industry as a whole, what do you see are some of the biggest opportunities on the horizon um, that we can really take advantage of to, you know, again, build a long-term future for village farms and for the entire industry? Right. Uh, I think there are a lot of different avenues in that regard. I mean, we already talked about AI and some of the some of the changes that that can bring and some of the improvements that that can make. But also just in terms of automation technology, um, you know, in in greenhouse and your packing lines, um, that's a big a big chunk that can be that can be done to make us more resilient in the face of labor shortages and other constraints. Other things that are coming down the line, there's a lot of interesting screening technology um, that's coming around that you can use different screens or double screens to really make big impacts on your climate um, in a way that just wasn't possible before. Um, so that that's definitely on our radar. Um, but also just in terms of... Um, in terms of sales and marketing, there there are new kinds of avenues out there as well. You know, 
the ugly fruit phenomenon is kind of <laughs> a, a really interesting one uh, to see come about. But, you know, as time goes on, and especially if, if the economy does continue to struggle, it kind of, in a way, opens up new avenues for, okay, there are fruits that five years ago would never have been considered saleable. Actually, there's nothing wrong with them. They taste really nice. And people are just super happy to buy them. So what are what do those opportunities look like? What does that translate to um, for our, you know, production, for our yield, for our um, product lineup? Um, and I'm not saying that that's, you know, 100% of the future, but it's just, it just gives us food for thought on um other capabilities other expansion possibilities that are out there um i really loved seeing the uh development of our uh, our heirloom tomatoes because they they don't look like traditional it's a little red globe that comes neatly in a box and it's you know five tomatoes by seven tomatoes and they're all perfectly in it but it's it's a gorgeous fruit with phenomenal flavor and um I'd be happy to buy it. So, you know, there's there there are a lot of opportunities out there just from the from the demand side of the market that uh that have room to be explored. Okay. Um the last question I have for you is just personally, what excites you the most about the future of the industry then? For me, I'd, I'd say the big thing is just the resiliency that we can we can provide based on how we are growing. Okay. Um, you know, in terms of, you know, there are a lot of areas already undergoing a lot of water scarcity, big um, tomato growing areas, California, Morocco, um, and you know we grow in a desert we we get it that this is you know it's a precious natural resource um and we i think have such an advantage when it comes to being able to have high yields per acre um while actually reducing water usage by a crazy amount <laughs> um so i think we're really in a, in a good position to weather some of the storms that are coming to the, uh, to the fruiting vegetable, let's say industry at large. Um, and we continue to refine that. We continue to push the envelope on how much can we save? How much can we optimize water usage, fertilizer usage? Um, the, you know, for example, the conflict in Ukraine created quite a bit of has created quite a bit of an issue in terms of uh fertilizer acquisition for for certain fertilizers and for certain parts of the world and you know how can we optimize that um and we are i think that we're already really far ahead of the game mm. in in terms of of those things but i know we can push it further and and we will, you know, we'll be there for the long haul. That's what I think is is really exciting. That 
we are we are ready to deal with a lot of a lot of setbacks and that's kind of kind of what i love about it thanks for joining us you can learn more at greenhousegrower.com please subscribe to this podcast wherever you listen